What's up, guys? Thanks for tuning in to the Athletic Lab Audio Inventory. So next time, can we do this at like 11 or 1? when it's not like the peak of my hungriness. I knew you were about to say lunchtime. <laughs> Weird, I just had a peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, I didn't though. <laughs> what is the topic though? Well, I'll, I'll get to the topic. Spence is killing me. He's gonna be like, all right guys, now start talking. I'll give you the topic in a couple minutes. <laughs> you're just like, you're just gonna be multiple topics. We want this to be organic. Well, I told, I told you yeah. the topic. You know, crap, what is this? What is this? Amateur Greg, hour? Greg's keeping secrets over there. Cool, Greg. Cool whip. Cool whip. <laughs> what, why, do you uh, keep, why do you keep saying what way? What is this? <laughs> Alright, so we can we can start if you guys are ready. Let's do it. I'm hungry. Let's go. Greg. Let's go. Alright, I had to send that text. We're good. Greg's hungry and sick, so let's get this going. <laughs> Let me call the ambulance. <laughs> uh, so it's a two-part question, okay? But I'll ask the first one first. And uh, we'll see how that how that all plays out. All right. So uh, we all cover a large spectrum of clients, from youth to adult, uh, athletic populations to general populations. Um, what are some of the biggest weaknesses you see in beginners, um, whether it's youth training age, uh, high school age, or inexperienced adults? And then how do you address these weaknesses? Uh, now this could be either in a group setting or it could be in private training. Uh, either one of those kind of fair game. Obviously, private training, you can address them much differently than you could just kind of on the spot um, with a, in a group class. So uh, whoever wants to start first, maybe we could start with Greg so he can get his <clears throat> out of the way and then, uh, and then kind of chill, maybe take a nap. Uh, well, I was going to start anyway. All right, cool. He's basically a beginner. So, so right now we're just talking about beginners, okay? Go ahead. So the first thing that comes to mind is just coordination is the biggest issue with any beginner. Um, if they are a beginner, then they don't haven't done the things we're asking them to do, at least not in any uh, high capacity. So a lot of times it's just just coordination. If it's a squat or whatever movement is their biggest issue, they might have you know, requisite strength levels, but um, the pattern looks awful until, you know, whatever 10th, 15th time that they do the repetition. So um, the easiest way to do it is, or easiest way to get better is just do it and, and uh, keep the load light enough to allow a learning situation. That's my first thought. Yeah, I can go uh, in depth with the coordination as well, but um Taking that next step further would be like, specifically, would either be with the squat or how to hinge properly. I see that um, a big time. A lot of people do things outside of here, uh, the gym, and they don't really realize it because their body's really good at adapting around it. Um, it's not how to, it's how to hinge properly. It seems to be the first one. Um, they round the, they round the back. They don't understand how to do that. And I would say the coordination as far as like muscle sequencing, like Greg said, is. Uh, the correct sequence to pick something up or to bend over at the hips. They round the back first, then the glutes are off and the hamstrings don't fire. And then we ask them to deadlift and they, they try, but they have never done it. The coordination is not there. So like you said, we just do more of it and then uh, maybe modify. Instead of actually doing a barbell deadlift, we grab a PVC pipe, super light, and just 
move, force them kind of into positions and how to do it and feel how to do it wrong. Cause they'd really, first off, they didn't know how to do it wrong. And then they'd know how to do it right kind of after doing that. So I would say like taking the coordination step further into hip hinging and then how to squat properly, how to move their body around. Those two movements seem to be the first two that I see. Just because we squat a lot and we do a lot of pulling, since it's in our programs, group or as for athletes, I see those two being the first two that I have to kind of fix correct at youth athletes or even adults. Yep, I definitely think that uh, what you guys said is true, 100% coordination. And then the second thing, especially with adults, like in group classes, you'll see just huge mobility issues where people from sitting in a desk, sitting at a desk for hours and hours a day can't do simple things like push their knee slightly over their toe or even sometimes you'll kind of see like coached wrong you know I don't, I don't know right. if you guys have ever seen this like the don't let the knees come over the toes if you are trying to do a deep squat that's going to be near impossible without letting the you know edge of your knee come forward over the toe slightly so right um i think mobility tends to be a big one especially ankles ankle mobility is like one of the biggest uh problem areas I see for people and if you're really tall and you're trying to squat deep and do basically the number one fundamental movement you know for for performance fitness or whatever it is you're not going to be able to do that unless you have at least average ankle mobility and so a lot of the time it's like I don't know I, I think what how much better people could be even if they just have weightlifting shoes in terms of learning the basic proficiencies of a squat but obviously not everyone's you know, gonna make that investment. And then a lot of people don't want to spend time doing mobility. And I know, Greg, you can put your foot behind your head. So what, uh, what do you do whenever you have a, a beginner that can't hit positions or whatever else? Uh, in terms of mobility, especially in the context of how we have them in classes, that, uh, you know, it's kind of the only time other than certain situations that we can actually have an effect on them is during that hour of that class. So, Apart from just recommending things that they should do outside of class, I think the biggest thing is putting them in positions that, and giving them little bits that if they continue to do them over time while they're learning this movement, their mobility will improve. So, uh, you know, example is um, like front squat position, uh, front rack position, people's wrists uh, who, who have a trouble you know, extending their wrist backward. Um, there's a couple of things that go into not having a good front rack position, but the wrist especially, um, if someone has trouble, for example, catching a power clean with their elbows up because of their wrists, um, I'll have them catch it however they need to and then put themselves into position properly every single time before they drop it so that, you know, if you don't do that, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get it any other way, so. You know, simple things like that where you, you put them in positions where the more they do the movement that they're trying to get better at, the better they'll get at it. Um, you know, and that actually goes back to a simple concept of loaded stretching. And essentially, it's you're putting yourself in a stretch every time you do it under load, and you're going to have an effect on the tissue over time. So, from a mobility standpoint, uh, coaching classes, I think that's like kind of the easiest way to have an effect on people. But the problem is it takes time, it takes patience, and a lot of times people don't have or want uh, time and patience in those things. Yeah, and I yeah. think after working with a lot of 
pro track and field athletes, like movement is what you're always watching. And, and Drake, I'm sure you see it with a lot of CrossFit guys. You're always looking for, for good movement. You know, what's their squat depth look like? What are the hips doing? What, what's the pelvis doing? What's the, what's the spine doing? So I, I, you know, I think mobility tends to be a big part of that in knowing how to move. So I don't know if you have. Yeah, I mean, CrossFit and weightlifting, especially weightlifting, but CrossFit, we do a lot of weightlifting movements is position first. Like if you can't be in those positions, it's really hard to be a correct snatch and things like that. So mobility is huge. And you hear it from the Russian and the Chinese guys, you see them with these beautiful positions. And it's like, well, I wish I could do that. Well, it's because they took the time and effort early uh, that we're talking about beginners. That's one of the first things you can do and get a big bang for your buck is before you start doing the movement wrong, just put yourself in the good position early and start doing it before you start worrying about weight, check your ego. It's going to see a lot of benefits there. Um, Cause that's gonna, and then also uh, dealing with like team sports, like in a college setting, you might not have a time. You know, NCAA is like, hey, you have two hours a day. It's like, man, how do I get this mobility? And so a lot of times you have to, like he was saying, uh, Greg was saying, with like loaded stretches. So maybe you do a set of back squats while you're warming up. Instead of resting two minutes and sitting there, grab a foam roller, grab a, a band, do some band distractions. Maybe you're doing ankle mobility work in the moment during your rest period, it's not gonna raise your heart rate, you're getting good efficient, and it increases the density of that training, and then, you, then you're actually putting load under it, so you actually do see some, because it's really hard to really foam roll a spot and say you're gonna do, actually do some damage, because I mean, our bodies are, we can move them, but to say two minutes of foam rolling, I mean, think about how heavy a back squat and all these deadlifts and things like that are, that pressure you can put on is nowhere near the same, so if you can actually do some smashing and then put a heavy load under it you're going to see a lot more benefit like you say and put a front squat and actually get in those positions and load up the body and actually force those positions and you'll actually see more benefit for sure um, but yeah that's how i'd handle a lot of the, the mobility factors for sure yeah and one other thing i want to touch on here since we're talking about beginners is um basically cueing so uh and where i'm going with it is when we have beginners come in in any capacity whether it's a young athlete or uh, you know, older population that just doesn't have familiarity with exercise. Um, a lot of times, it goes back to coordination, but a lot of times their biggest issue is they don't have uh, like coordinated maps of their body in their brain. They don't, they don't feel or know where their body is in space. And so when you tell them to get in a position, even if you show them, they don't know, like they can do their best at it, but they don't know actually how their body feels in relation to what they see you doing. So, um, you know, sometimes actual, you know, hands-on, put them in position is, is important or finding the right cues to get them to understand better how to move their body. <laughs> and, and sometimes it, it takes taking them off of that movement and breaking down, you know, whether it's an, an arch in the back. Sometimes I've, I've gone to trying to get a neutral spine and a, a pull or something like that. I've gone off of the pole and taken them to like a quadruped arch and curl exercise where they can feel okay, this is a tailbone tucked, this is a tailbone um, you know, anteriorly tilted where we have an arch. Right. Like, this, is how, this is how it feels. Now take it over here in the, in the deadlift position and uh, feel that. You know what I mean? So uh, in terms of uh, when we're talking about beginners, I think you know, maybe you guys have any thoughts on uh, just proper cueing or, or even different strategies for cueing for different people you encounter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends, obviously, um, kind of on the athlete and, and on that mobility piece a lot of the time. You know, if they, sometimes you'll see people that are immensely coordinated but just can't get in positions because of a bony block or there's a muscular tissue or there's tissue in there that's bound up or whatever. So sometimes I'll see that. But in terms of cueing, um, I mean, 
I like self-exploration a lot. I think that a lot of the time, you know, showing someone it, putting a light load on the bar and then just having them do it, that's, you're gonna see a lot of bang for your, for your buck there and, and improvement. Just having people do the movement. You know, I've had a lot of the times we'll have, you know, young athletes come in 10 to, to 14 years old doing a back squat or a power clean or something like that. And you can just grab the uh, aluminum bar and put 2.5K plates on, on it. You know, I saw Mike's daughter doing it the other day and just have them go through the movements. You don't need to saturate their brains with, you know, insane cues, just show them the movement and kind of have them do it. Um, but I've also seen, uh, to that point, I've also seen at Altus where you have elite sprinters do skips for distance or, you know, speed skips or something like that to let them, and this is kind of to Stu McMillan, which hopefully I'll, I'll uh, do this justice, but uh, putting them in a position or getting them to feel a sensation and then returning them back to the movement they were doing. So, you know, I'd see students all the time to do skips for distance and then an excel or something like that to work on projection, to feel their hips project out on each contact. Um, so I think both of those are good, but ultimately my favorite are just visual, visual cues are, tend to be really effective for people. Just letting them see it and try to mimic it tends to be um, one of the best ways for beginners to learn. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, it depends. So, there's so many different types of people. Yeah, uh, we deal with people that learn differently. So, uh, me personally, I'm a visual learner. I, I checked out lifting on YouTube. I see really high level lifters, and I can just kind of feel. But I've also been training for a lot longer, so I, I know what it feels like to do things wrong. And a lot of people just have never done it right or wrong, so they can't really visually learn. And they're maybe not a visual learner. Maybe they they need to feel some sort of tactile touch. My knees are coming in. What do you mean? Pick my knees out. What does that really feel like? What's going on? Uh, so I think it depends on the athlete. So for dealing with an athlete that visually, you might be able to say, do a kettlebell snatch like this. And they do it twice, they feel it, they're like, oh, that's how it is. And some people, they do it rep after rep after rep until you actually physically kind of get them break down uh, complex movement into parts and they start feeling the parts, then you start to understand where they start to see different parts, they start to get it. So I think it depends on how they learn and as a coach, you just kind of have to play around with it. I mean, that's part of our our uh, our field is we have to play around with it, get different cues because there's not really a wrong cue. It's just the wrong cue for that person. Um, you just have to find the right one, um, especially for beginners. Um, you might have the right cue for them, but they just don't understand what it means. Like, I mean, I could be telling them the right thing, and you as a coach understand it, but they just don't get it. And we kind of say, like, let me uh, let me break it down. And do you know how to stand up properly? And it's like, oh, that's I do that all the time. It's like, okay, that's what I need you to do. If you just break it down differently like that, and just try to take complex movements and maybe into parts, and then go back to the complex movement, they understand it a little bit better and saying, saying, let's uh, learn a snatch because there's so many steps and so many mobility factors as well. So, um, as far as beginners, I mean, it depends. I think we just have to play around and to find out what type of learner they are and also uh, what type of cue works best for them. I think you just play around with it. So it depends if they're elite or beginner. Um, that's everybody, human beings in general. Yeah, to kind of um, just wrap that up maybe is uh, in terms of cueing and learning in general, I think the goal for me at least uh, with teaching someone, any anybody something is to have them be able to feel what's right and what's wrong um, and not not by my feedback, but for me to be able to ask, what did that feel like? And they're like, yeah, it wasn't right, or that one felt good. Uh, if, if I can get them to do that, then um, my job is easier, and so is theirs, because they don't look to me for um, they don't look to me for the feedback. They they can already they can already tell as soon as it happens. So for me, that's um, in depending on the movement. Most of them for me, 
that's uh, that's kind of the goal is to get them to the point where they can they can feel when it's right or wrong before I even say anything. Um, uh, so I want to just have like a, a follow-up question too, um, just to keep it going a little bit longer now. Uh, so some of you guys, or all you guys, have worked with at some point more advanced athletes too, not necessarily elite athletes, but it could be maybe naturally gifted athletes or naturally gifted, uh, you know, in our group classes. Um, <clears throat> who seem to excel at, at some of the things you ask them to do, and um, then also those that have maybe been training for a long time. So maybe they're not you know naturally gifted, but they've kind of worked to where they, they've gotten, and now their uh, their experience level is is pretty high. So what are the kind of commonalities you've seen between them? Like the things that might uh, across the board they're getting right or they're doing that that allow them to be at that more advanced level <clears throat> and then are there smaller weaknesses or do they come along with some other challenges um, that you might face uh, in that kind of population more advanced uh, that now you have to to work on uh, and what what would those challenges be or what would those weaknesses be and how would you address uh, those yeah uh, first thing I would say is the ones like especially since I deal with a CrossFit competitive team uh, but in general I see high-level athletes would be efficiency, um, how they move. Um, they do the same, it's, they're doing the same movements, but like especially in CrossFit or other things that are higher rep, that each rep they do is easier. So the amount of out power output they have to do is less. Um, I heard it last time uh, recently, somebody was saying, watch Usain Bolt jog and do his warm-ups. It looks like it's effortless. And that's kind of one of those things where you see the same thing, I would say Rich Froning and Matt Frazier, they lift a barbell. Um, any like LeBron James, they make these things, these very complex movements look effortless and it's just they're so efficient at their movement. Um, Scranton, there's a lot of God-given ability that some of these people have, but they've also worked hard at that. So the first thing I look at is at how efficient they move and that's usually what I, in our group classes, if somebody's able to do a pull-up really efficiently, they're doing a lot, a lot less work. So it looks like they're able to just kind of move through these complex movement things. Um, that would be the first thing I look at as far as weaknesses and maybe some challenges. Um, as a coach, you have to have a little bit more keen eye on these higher level athletes. I think they don't, there's easy to see these glaring faults with some of the beginners that have never done a movement. But whenever somebody moves really well, sometimes you have to catch things uh, a little bit faster. They might move through, they might add speed to things and cover up dysfunction. Um, you just have to be better with their posture a little bit differently. It could be small things, especially when you're dealing with more advanced athletes. Maybe they're not elite, but like an advanced, someone that's been doing it for a while, they've found different ways to kind of get around it. And so you have to kind of, and they've gotten really good at hiding things. So you have to kind of be smart as a coach and a really good eye. So I would say to be more keen on their posture, maybe the small things that normally don't, that you don't check on beginner athletes, because you see gross faults, go to the back to the beginning of basics and try to find those really small things that could maybe make them better. Maybe you don't notice that maybe some asymmetries that they can hide or anything anything that's possible. That would be the hardest thing I would say for the advanced. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I'd say efficiency would be a positive that makes them better, but also weakness would be they're harder, they hide their weaknesses better. So you have to be a little bit better uh, keen eye on what y'all see. Yeah, and my expertise would be more, not as much CrossFit, but I see a lot of weightlifters. Um, even more, more so, my expertise I would probably say is specifically jumping and jumping, generally speaking, long jump, high jump, dunking a basketball, it doesn't matter. Um, a lot of the time you will see that. You'll see guys that are just phenomenal athletes and they can 
uh, sometimes mask it because it happens really fast. So you might think, oh, well, you know, he, that was a really, really great lift. That was 120K in a snatch, or that was, you know, a, a six foot eight high jump. And you might, be, oh, well, obviously he's, he's technically proficient if he's lifting that much weight or jumping that high. And I, I think that that is a little misleading because the majority of the time there are things that are not technically correct. So I think having a model in your head that you're trying to follow is probably the most important thing when you're looking to perfect technique in an advanced athlete. So if I'm looking at a high jumper, there's a technical model that I'm thinking about um, and I want an athlete to perform. Now that being said, I think there's bandwidth within that. So for example, in weightlifting, there are tons of weightlifters that you know have these little, uh, I don't know, differences between their lifts, but they're all really strong. They all lift really big weights. I think maybe that's a little less true in something like um, sprinting, where everyone has to be on and off the ground extremely quickly. Everyone is gonna run pretty much the same way when they run a 10-6 or a 10-0. Or There's not gonna really be many differences there because the room for error is, is so small. If you have a technical deficiency, you're gonna see it basically at the highest level. So I think that knowing that model and moving people towards that model is ultimately what's gonna push them forward. You know, and when I think about high jump, one of the biggest things you can mask is, is lean, inward lean in a curve, and you'll just have guys that completely are upright and jump seven, six, or seven, eight. And technically, in terms of how close they are to the model, they're not very close. And I was talking to Matt, Hunter about this and he was like, well, is it really a technical model if he's jumping seven, eight, like who cares? And I, I think you would be more consistent and better if you're move, moving yourself towards a better tech and safer if you're doing the technical model more correctly. So I don't know that's kind of what, what I'm always looking for is using my coaching eye to say, okay, what is this one key performance indicator and are they doing it correctly? If it's sprinting, where's the pelvis? Where's the trunk? Where's the head? What's the alignment there? If it's high jump, I'm looking at how low are you? How fast are you running? What's your lean like in the curve? I might just look at one thing because it happens so quickly. So you really have to pay attention to, and know what you're looking for and know what it should look like. So, Yeah, I'm going to kind of piggyback on a couple things that these guys talked about. One, technically, um, or from a technical standpoint, just because someone or an athlete is good at what they do doesn't mean they don't have, um, you know, less than ideal patterns or, or habits or uh, you know whatever it is. Um, and to some extent, when you're at that level, you, you have to be nitpicky. Like you have to find the little things um, if you're looking for the top, the highest level uh, of performance. So. But like I said, it, you know, just because you are, you jump higher, you, you move a lot of weight, you run fast, doesn't mean there isn't things that need to be, uh, or could be addressed rather. Um, you know, and, and especially like I said, if you're, if you're trying to be the, the highest level elite. Um, what was the other thing I was gonna say? Oh. Sure it's not important? No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, the other thing was, uh, when it comes to, oh man, I just forget it. I totally lost it. <laughs> and it's gone. <laughs> It'll come back as soon as what do you guys start talking. I was about. Say, well, I'll, I'll, one point that I thought about whenever John was talking is um, that I thought about as a weakness would be a mindset uh, for these athletes. I remember now. Um, there <laughs> of course go. you That's do. Right? <laughs> All right, <laughs> but uh, the mindset for these athletes that are uh, really good um, as a coach, as your, our jobs are to try to nitpick and kind of find those things and make them better. As an athlete, they have 
um, themselves. They already like they come to us, and if they're really efficient, they've gotten really good. It's hard to break things down, and so like if they have a gross fault, like my back is hurting, they want to get it fixed. So it's hard, it's easier for them to listen to things that we're saying. If they're really good. Uh, it's a little bit, they need to check, I'm not saying they will do this, but a lot of athletes have that mindset of saying, I'm good, I've got to my, I'm getting to my goal, why do I need to fix these things? So a lot of times you have to kind of break down these barriers that athletes have built up. I mean, they, they're very confident and to, on the borderline cocky because that's what gets them to where they, to elite level or maybe pushes them to that next level is that, that ego. Uh, but it also could be a detriment. The ego could either carry them really well or it could hinder them in learning things that need to learn. And like John was saying, even though you jump seven eight, the technical model might be keep you in the game a lot longer. Which, if it keeps you in the game and safer, then that's good. You don't need to be. Who wants performance for maybe? I guess if you want to think about it, and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna do this once, and you're just going for it. That's great. You're not worried about longevity. But if you want one year of great performance, or do you want 20 years of longevity of being a little bit better? short term and then getting the long term even being better than you were you have to do it right you have to take those small things and sooner or later you will have issues if you don't so that mindset of uh, i'm good now will end up biting you in the butt later i promise you uh yeah my points were <laughs> just off i remember i wrote them down now so we're good but just off of what he was saying uh one of them was durability so yeah. when we're talking about um like efficiency of high level athletes um Kind of going back to what I was saying before, if just because you're good at something or you excel at something doesn't mean that your your habits and your patterns set you up to be durable throughout your career. So you can do something technically um, maybe non-efficient, still have a really good performance, and like like Drake just said, get by for for now. Um, but if you want a long career. Uh, the load that your body takes by doing things inefficiently is not going to allow you to do that. Um, and off of that point again, my other one that I wrote down was one of the downfalls to um, coaching up more experienced athletes in basically in anything is um, they've uh, their their training age is high, which means they have uh, habits or you know patterns or ingrained, um, you know, different, uh, uh, motor patterns that might not be correct, but they're there. They've been there for a long time and it's going to be harder to change those. It's harder to fix bad habits than it is to teach new ones, I think. So, um, you know, in that sense, it's, it's a lot easier when you have someone fresh, um, you're teaching them something new. That's the first time they learn it. They learn it correctly as opposed to, you know, someone comes, an athlete comes to you from someone else who, you know, whether it's taught wrong or it's just not the way you want it done, uh, it's a lot harder to break that habit down and then relearn something new than it would be just to teach them something new. That's, you know, it's an entirely another step. So uh, those are the two things I have. Uh, I just want to jump in here real quick. <clears throat> so we won't spend too much more time on this, um, but I did want to uh, ask, so I think it was the second episode that we did, we talked about training um, like prioritization or hierarchy, right? So we got all these weaknesses, right? Where do we put this, like these fixes that we have or these uh, ideas that we have on, on overcoming these weaknesses, where do we put this in training? So we, this could probably be a whole other topic, but let's try to keep it kind of uh, quick and to the point. Where do you put these in training, and is there a line that you draw where 
you're just, all you're doing is spending all your time trying to fix this one thing that they got wrong, this one movement that they got wrong, where maybe your time's better spent finding something else to do that they can do right and actually uh, just start training. I think, I first I always go chronologically, so sequentially, what's the first thing that they're doing? If it's a weightlifting, what's your setup position look like? If your setup position looks like garbage, you're not gonna be able to lift the floor off, off. You're not gonna be able to lift the bar off the floor. It's gonna move forward or whatever. Okay, that's gonna screw up the second pull, which means you're not gonna be in position on the catch, which means you're gonna miss the lift. So I'll start there, and you, you can get the first, that right, well that's gonna solve a lot of other problems up the chain. Um, in the same way if it's spring. If I'm looking at acceleration, it's the first couple steps. Uh, or I'm, I'm just looking at sprinting globally. If you don't do the first couple steps well, it's gonna be hard to set up a good transition in upright running. Um, usually high jump is the exact same way. If I can't run the curve correctly, I'm not gonna be able to get somersault over the bar. So I'll start there, but sometimes you might have to use an outcome measure um, that might, or a, a final result as a way to assess that. So it's hard to explain, but high jump, for example, if I'm looking to see how someone's running the curve, I might tell them to front flip over the bar or to side flip over the bar because that's what actually happens. So I might tell them to do that final outcome and overdo the final outcome as a way to achieve the other goals that I want to kind of occur. So usually I'll start sequentially, but I might use an outcome as a way to, to achieve this. I would, uh, I'm not sure, I, I read the, heard, heard the question a little differently. I would, if I'm looking at a training day, um, if we're looking at, I wouldn't say corrective exercises, but um, I would say exercises to correct weaknesses. I don't like this, um, would probably be early in the training. I'd say in the warm-up, uh, prior, seeing what the, the whole day looks like. Maybe we have things specifically for certain weaknesses. If we have an athlete, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, it's a lot easier. Um, but you might group, if you have team athletes, maybe you group them. You're probably going to see a lot of the same things in soccer athletes. If they're all playing the same sport, they all have this, a lot of the same weaknesses. So a lot of times in my warm-up, I might be hitting these things that we have, like ankle mobility might be one. So it's like, all right, we're all going to be working on our feet, our ankles. Uh, we're going to be squatting today, so we need to know we're going to need ankle mobility. So let's put in five minutes of our warm-up dedicated towards that. Um, and but we don't want to stop squatting. So a lot of times people spend might if they're spending an hour on these things, unless there's an, a big injury or maybe you're in physical therapy for that stretch session. That's one thing. But if you're coming to us to strength train, I'm not going to take away your entire stimulus to focus on your ankle mobility. I think that's uh, not. I think it's dumb. I think you're going to take. I mean, I'm not going to hurt an athlete, but I'm also going to try to put in the time, the effort, maybe uh, uh, change the load up a little bit. But I'll either do it in the warm up and cool down. Uh, for certain exercises, maybe around the, the training stimulus, and then also maybe spend a little bit more time warming up, change the loads up a little bit. Uh, maybe we'll do an extra few sets of lower or higher rep, lower weight stuff. Uh, start adding in tempo things. Maybe they're an athlete where I have prescribed his back squat today, but they're still not understanding the movement. Instead of me completely scrapping it, maybe I'll go single leg or I'll say tempo work. We'll start doing back squat with tempo so they start to learn the movement, more time and retention. So we can still technically, we're getting a strength stimulus. I don't have to worry about the load and they're actually learning the proper way to squat a little bit easier than having to worry about speed or dysfunction. Uh, so sometimes I'll do that and it's kind of a, almost like a, a hidden trick to fix a back squat is just add tempo to it, take out where they're having issues. And so I might do that as a warm up or things like that. So it depends on the athlete.
Wait, Brian, was the question prioritizing training or prioritizing like motor learning and technical cues? So there, there are weaknesses that they have. So oh, okay. a, little, a little bit more like what, what Drake was saying. So there, the weaknesses that they have and you know how you're going to address them, where do, you, where do you address them in training and is there a line where it's like too much, like we're, we're just spending all our time trying to fix this problem where maybe there's another exercise or another movement you could be doing that, um, that can kind of get around it while you're spending, like Drake said, maybe a little bit of time in the beginning, a little bit of time at the end, or uh, sometime in the middle, just on a, on a lower capacity um, to, to fix the issue. I think the first question you have to ask is you have to be really clear about how badly they need to be better at what you're looking at. You know, if it's if it's a weight room movement and they're a field sport athlete, then how badly do they need to be good at that? That dictates how much time you're going to put into making it better. Right. Um, you know, take whatever exercise you want. For example, like for a lot of people would say we need to be better at squats because we need to develop strength. But there's a lot of other exercises to develop lower body strength. So like calf raises. Like calf right. raises. Yeah. yeah calf raises and hamstring curls. Toe yoga. Yeah. Toe yoga. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, so prioritize based on how badly you need that. If it's ankle flexibility, well, uh, if, if I'm a sprinter and I need ankle flexibility to squat, but I don't need actually any more than I have to sprint, well, you know, prioritize because you're taking away from training time to, to do that. So I do agree, though, with what Drake was saying about make it a part of training where, um, you know, whatever you're trying to improve, make it a part of training where you don't, uh, you don't take away stimulus, rather you uh, you just become more efficient by almost hitting two birds with one stone. Yeah. Yeah. Ask yourself, is this an indicator of what's going to make them really good? You know, yeah. if it's, if, if you're, if dumb, dumbbell, you know, bicep curls aren't an indicator, you know, bicep strength or bicep size is an indicator of what's going to make them great at their sport. Yeah, you have tiny biceps, but is that what's going to make you run faster? It, probably not, so you, you shouldn't be wasting your time on it in the first place. Yeah, I think the goal the goal of that question really, which I think you guys covered it really well, was just, you know, I, throughout the day you could see uh, a lot of people sometimes, they're going to set up a camera, they're going to do the same movement over and over, they're going to spend an hour looking at it, kind of almost overanalyzing it, right? right. So it's kind of like almost addressing people like that that, Maybe they don't have a coach, right, that can right. tell them, hey, we need to move on. So it's like, you know, basically, hey, you're probably spending too much time overanalyzing what you're doing, and maybe you should just train. You know, yeah, I think maybe you should just yeah. move, move to something else right now, get a stimulus, come back to that. I agree. Looking at, looking at the demands of your sport or whatever it is your goals are. Like, if you're bodybuilding, you need everything to be better. If your body, if your goal is to look better all around, then you have weaknesses, train them. If you're a weightlifter and you have bad ankle mobility, but it's like, is it bad ankle mobility or do you just want more? Like, is it hindering your sport or then not? Like, some people see things like, well, I have this thing. I'm like, is it messing up? Are you having pain? Things like that. If the answer is no, then stop spending 30 minutes of your hour allotted training time on things that are not going to help you for your goals. It's just going to be, it's just going to, one, it's going to mentally get to you. Two, you're going to be not training. It's not going to be fun because you're hitting the thing that you hate the most and it's not even helping you. So, I mean, I think it's a waste of time almost. Well, the other side of that too, and, and maybe Greg has like an opposite, um, kind of like a counterpoint to this, but I do see a lot of people who are hyper mobile, yeah. spending way too much time in their warm up right. or, or whatever, way too much time on, a strength of theirs like yeah you know if you can 
bend over, put your head between your legs, and look at your ass, like <laughs> you've got it. You, you win. You, right. you, you, you probably don't need to spend twenty minutes on uh, flexion, right? Right. Hip flexion. So, you know, what, what else? What what can't you do, right? And maybe yeah. you should be looking at that, spending yeah. thirty minutes on that before you. Well, again, it depends on what what you need and what you're training for, you know. Uh, Greg always is training well, well, to look at his ass. The reason why I said you know, a counterpoint is because like, you are somebody who maybe someone looks at you and says, wow, he's much more he's flexible than I am, right? So you still spend a lot of time on it, yeah, right? Yeah. But so what I mean is like, obviously there's a reason why you're doing yeah. that. And, and so I this, this goes to the point I was about to make uh, a little bit is, um, it's a, you have to understand that all of it, no matter what weakness you're trying to work on, is a long-term goal. So, like, what you were saying before about people who just spend too much time on trying to fix one thing, like, try to fix a little bit and get your work in, and then come back the next day and try to fix a little bit. It's the same thing with flexibility to that other point is, uh, you don't get it overnight, you don't keep it by doing nothing. So, if it's something you have and you want to keep, now it shouldn't take uh, excessive amounts of time to keep things, but um, it's a long-term goal, and it's it's a it's a goal in which you need to have. What's the word for? My brain's not working. Oh, great. <laughs> it happened again. You, <laughs> Write it down. Consistency is the word I was looking for. Yeah, yeah. You have to you have to have consistent um, stimulus to to keep things like that. Same thing with strength, endurance, fitness, all this stuff. Um, you know, you might be good at something but you balance that with how much time it takes to, to keep it. And then the other thing I had was uh, context specific. You know, if you are, if you are really good at um, forward flexion, you have a lot of hamstring flexibility, um, you don't need to spend a lot of time on improving that necessarily, but what you might need to improve on is how much of that you actually have available to you actively so you know how strong are we throughout that you know we talk about hypermobile people um, you know really the, the issue there you can call it hypermobility where you can just say um, a greater amount of flexibility than you have control over so that's that's really the, the you know what that is so um, that again that's just prioritizing if that's your issue then your priority needs to be uh, way less time stretching for flexibility and way more time loading your stretches for uh, control. I think it also goes to coaches too. So this is mainly towards maybe people that don't have a coach, but if you have a coach, if you're a coach, also don't force your athletes into things that maybe you think they need more of. Like I was listening to Tommy Moffitt, the strength coach for LSU, and he said the two dumbest things he'd ever done, we had a lineman that could squat 705 and jerked 405 pounds. He said, did he need to jerk 405 pounds? No, he had prerequisite strength. He is a football player, not a weightlifter. So it's like if you're training a weightlifter, it makes sense. So just be smart as a coach. Like if you have a certain barrier, you want to be, I mean, obviously you want guys to be as strong as they can. It's not a weakness to be super strong, but you also have to be able to be fast. You have to be conditioned and things like that. So don't, as a coach, make sure you're uh, hitting the priorities of, a, of your sport. Not just to say, well, I have the strongest athlete, but you also have the slowest athlete. That doesn't make you a good athlete, like all around athletes. That can that can jerk 300 pounds, but also can run and, and and crush somebody in a football game is what you need. Not the guy that can jerk 405. So, I think it was um, kind of hitting at that point where we're talking about make sure you understand what you're training for, and 
when you have that prerequisite strength or the strength that you need, maybe you find some other areas to start working on. And, and then maintenance, like Greg said, is not that hard to maintain that strength once you have it. Don't just keep forcing it and getting stronger and stronger whenever you have that strength you need. Start to work on your flexibility, injury prevention, and things like that on other areas. So yeah, I heard a I heard a coach one. I totally forget who said it, um, but they were talking about mostly like in in collegiate strength and conditioning or even professional level. But you know that typical like strength and conditioning culture, I guess you could say, yeah. where most of the times a coach will have core lifts, right? The core exercises that they want, and the coach was like, "Well, look at it and say like, what 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 are your core?" Core lifts, okay. Maybe maybe hand clean, bench press, squat, right? Right. Well, why are you spending seventy five percent of your time on like sh corrective shoulder activation, whatever exercise? And you know, like right. these these other things, filling in the, trying to fill in the pieces, but it's becoming like 75 percent of your training. Where, but you're saying your, your core lifts are, are over here. So yeah. not that those exercises are bad, but like if you got a, a training objective, right? Keep to that training objective. Don't don't try to like have so much of every single thing that you think you need. Right? Yeah, I, I think one of the big things is you want to leave no stones unturned, and you want to check all the boxes. You'll hear Mike talk about blowing past diminishing returns when you talk about that strength discussion. That's always what I think about. It's like, well, is, is strong too strong? You know what I mean? Like bring raise raise the entire curve, raise the entire force velocity curve, bring everything up. Um, and obviously max strength is a great way to do that, to, to give yourself more resources to, to push forward, but also when you're looking at all those other things, you know, shoulder health or hip health or whatever, you know, check all those boxes. Make sure you address coordination, make sure you address mobility, make sure you address endurance, strength, speed. Sure. You, you know what I mean? Th those, all of those capacities should be addressed every single session in varying capacities. So even if it's squatting 10 by five, that's still some sort of endurance capacity. You address it in some way, um, you know what I mean? Maybe it was more max strength or whatever, but you still addressed it, you know? And I think that you just, it's a sliding scale. You know, it's not black and white. You address everything all year in varying capacities. Um, you know, team sports are gonna be different, but I kind of think about big gaps in the field, and, and the biggest one I see is that people don't sprint, people don't change direction, or coaches, strength conditioning coaches, don't sprint and don't change direction often enough. They have a weight room, that's it. Maybe they don't have the luxury of finding space, but you know, I'll, I'll go outside and I'll run on concrete, and I know coaches have access to this, and they'll just choose not to. They'll, they'll be like, yeah, I mean, I could do this and it would be safe and I could warm up and I could check this box, but I'm not going to because it's easy to just stay in the weight room or just do plyos. Um, and I think that is a big hole that you see in the field. People don't want to do plyos. People don't want to do, not plyos, maybe they do, but people don't want to sprint or change direction um, in training because it's, they, I don't know, it's logistically difficult or it's not worth investing in. I don't, I don't know if you guys have opinions on that, but. I think we're like, about a mile from where we started. But, <laughs> I agree. I mean, no, it's a, I, no I, I guess so. nothing. Nothing you said is uh, is is uh, by any means out of realm here. But uh, to wrap that up, I think we just say it's it's context specific, and you just have to have balance in your training. Um, now, what that means to you is that's based on your program and your uh, what you have available. So, um, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else there. Yeah, I mean, Greg's hungry. Yeah. Greg just wants a peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> He's hungry, his dog is salivating. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go feed your dog, right, Greg? Yeah.
<laughs> feed is one way to put it. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah, so no, we, we can wrap that up. Like, I, I like how it kind of got away a little bit just because uh, kind of opened some, some doors, maybe some other things that we could come back here and talk about. I actually had a really sweet idea for another video. Are you going to um, tell us what that idea is or wait until we're... No, I, I, mean, I can tell you and I'll cut it out of here. It's fine, but... Alright guys, that's it. Thanks for listening. If you like this, you can rate us, you can share this with your friends, and if you have a question, go to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Anchor, anywhere you can find us. Drop us a DM and we'll try to answer it when we can.